giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Nalan Pires, VP of Growth at TransferWise, who provide a cheaper way to send money internationally. Nalan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for the invite. So how long have you been at TransferWise? So I've been at TransferWise for four years. Over that amount of time, TransferWise has grown quite a bit. Yeah. How has the company changed since you joined? When talking about our progress and how things have changed, I I usually like to talk about numbers, like how mm-hmm. uh, how the business changed in terms of a numbers perspective and uh, how the growth has changed. And then I think with that context, the people thing makes a bit more sense. Right? Mm-hmm. So numbers-wise, we're moving £2 billion a month at the moment. Uh, We're doubling in size more than annually right now uh, in terms of volume and everything. And our growth comes from people telling their friends about TransferWise, a majority of it. Mm -hmm. And if you go back uh, like four years, we were moving uh, not two billion pounds, but a few hundreds of thousands of pounds. Mm -hmm. We were growing mainly through paid marketing back then. And from a team perspective over that period, we've gone from about uh, 20 people to um, over a thousand now uh, with offices all around the world. So as VP of growth, what is your responsibility over that? What do, what do you actually do? It's a good question. So what do I do? So I look after our uh, products and marketing teams here at mm-hmm. TransWise. Uh, across product engineering and marketing, we've got about 300 people today globally. And in terms of what I actually spend my time doing, I, uh, I do three things. One is uh, help scale our product marketing design uh, analyst organizations globally and uh, work with the leads within those teams on how their organizations are scaling as we scale. Mm-hmm. Two is uh, a bunch of my time is managing upwards uh, to our board and uh, working with our founders. And the third thing I do is I, uh, as in any high growth startup, I, I pick up stuff that no one else is looking after. Mm-hmm. Uh, so up to recently, I've been uh, I've been running our recruitment team for us in, for my sins, but thank God we've hired a professional for that now. Mm-hmm. So over your recent career, you've had a variety of different titles: head of e-commerce, web technology director, chief marketing technology officer. And it was in 2013 that you joined House Trip as, and that was the first time that I could see that you had the title VP Growth, which is your title now at TransferWise. But how is what you're doing now different from what you were doing when you had those previous titles? So just a, a point on titles. I mean, I find it terribly embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> my current title and titles in general. Uh, I mean, like I think the guys came up with uh, the title VP Growth as a as an egotistical ploy to get me to join. It worked <laughs> and it demonstrated how shallow I am. And since then, it's been frankly embarrassing, and I've tried to get rid of it. But <laughs> I've uh, it's kind of stuck, unfortunately. Yeah, so I, I'm a strong believer that uh, titles don't matter, especially in early stage startups. You kind of do what needs to be done. Yep. And different people have different things they can help with and have an impact in. Here at TransferWise, it's been always about building a strong culture that builds the product that kind of attracts people that mm-hmm. are inspired to build the product that then kind of um, delivers the growth. And working that each part of that uh, over the years is kind of where I've spent my time. Well, how is that different than what you were doing with the same title of VP of Growth at House Trip? 
Uh, so Hellstrip is a, a slightly different business. So today mm-hmm. at Transwise, we're 80% uh, word of mouth growth. Right? Mm-hmm. trip went from zero to about uh, 400 million in revenue in about three years, entirely through paid marketing. And so we were dropping, I can share because it's been acquired now, uh, somewhere between uh, 10 and 20 million on uh, various points in time on Google annually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something very similar to the booking.com model for a mm-hmm. uh, priceline model for uh, growing uh, a travel business online. And that had its uh, strengths, that kind of model and its uh, weaknesses. And the kind of things we built there in order to grow were uh, – a team that was highly proficient in AdWords, a bunch of computer scientists writing algorithms that helped us uh, mine and find uh, new keywords, write our ads algorithmically, as well as doing our bid optimization. If I contrast that with uh, TransferWise, I think less than 3% of our customers find us through search. Mm-hmm. So I think we're getting around to what I was wondering about, which is in your roles, the actual high level thing is similar, which is figure out what we need to do to grow <laughs> and to manage that growth. And But at each company, it is probably going to be something different. Yeah. So my team tell me I'm terribly insecure. <laughs> and what I mean by this is like uh, I'm acutely aware in uh, having worked in startups probably for the last 10 years that uh, they're risky businesses and building a sustainable product to that scales is is what matters. And hence, uh, I usually find myself being accountable for doing that mm-hmm. in the organizations I've worked in. That's been with a variety of titles, as you out, pointed out over the years. The thing I've learned most, I think, over the last six, seven years, and especially here, is how you discharge that accountability is what culture is. Mm-hmm. So a typical way in which a VP growth is hired is CEO founder goes and raises a bunch of money saying, you know what, we're going to grow by this amount next year and it's going to be through SEO, paid search and virality. (laughs) And they do a little model with some numbers in there saying this is what's going to happen. And then they start interviewing people saying, hey, can can you do this magic uh, SEO, this this magic paid search or this viral stuff? And they they go, yeah, sure, I can do that. And I can definitely hit those numbers because we can do X, Y, Z. And so they hire these people uh, with these fun titles and they, they come in to build a team to do this. And, and so then it goes down a level and I, I would go and uh, hire someone to do the virality and someone to do the paid search, et cetera, and tell them, can you hit these numbers and and so on and so on. And uh, until a point someone realizes that these numbers don't work anymore mm-hmm. right? or, or this plan is undoable and then things uh, slowly come unstuck. And so the thing I've kind of learned to do is uh, there's a couple of things that are quite powerful. So one is to be clear that uh, it's, it's a very hard thing to say, but when you stand up in front of your board, the board says, like, how big do you think we're going to be in like a year's time or in two years time? The right answer is probably you don't know. Mm-hmm. And you can share a bit more around what you're working on to figure out that and where you're focused and what the uh, indicators of success would be and be as transparent as you can around that. So that's the first big thing I see that I was quite weak at and I've seen uh, peers of mine be quite weak at over over the years. So if you're not able to stand up and say that, the whole thing can come tumbling down quite fast. The second point is then to work with your teams and talented people that you hire in to help them figure out like where growth is going to come from. And you yourself is uh, creating a conduit for sharing a view of that back up. On your teams and in the companies you've worked at, how how do you view failure or experimentation and which can result in failure? 
So there's two questions there. So yeah. failure uh, and experimentation. So it's a you know, super trite thing, the whole like uh, you should uh, celebrate failure and mm-hmm. all of that. And I think the easiest way of talking about that most practically is like uh, when do you fire somebody? <laughs> it's been very, very straight. So <laughs> Otherwise, it's just a bit of uh, it's kind of Kool-Aid talk. And so I think the only time we've let someone go is if they're unable to learn. Mm-hmm. So uh, saying you're going to do something and not being able to execute on that or executing on it and it isn't as has a big impact as you thought, it's pretty shit to let someone go because of that. Right. <laughs> but if they do that, they write a retro on what they learned from it, they learn from it and they improve. That's the magic, I think, to create uh, an environment where that kind of stuff can happen. So what's something that you've tried and had not work so well? And learned from many many things yeah uh, so uh probably a, a neat way of thinking of this is uh there's definitely a couple of product teams working on specific problems that i'm super passionate about and believe there are big opportunities there but in four years of trying myself nor any of the talented people we've hired in have managed really to succeed in that mm-hmm. probably the best example uh it's quite an interesting one is our our own virality team so TransferWise, about 80% of the growth is from people telling their friends about TransferWise. 50% of that is pure organic, people just telling their friends because they love the product. 30% is uh, incentivized. There's a refer-a-friend scheme that we've run. When I joined four or five years ago, that was one of the first teams that I helped set up. And after four years of running a refer-a-friend team, you have tried, tested everything under yeah. the sun. Okay, So we've, we've given away money, like lots of money, <laughs> a little money, various uh, altruistic kind of schemes where you encourage people to do stuff because it's good for them, fee credit as well, as well as chocolate. Okay, <laughs> And uh, what I've seen happen is uh, we hire in these talented product managers and engineers and they, they work on this problem. And then after a while, they kind of run out of stuff to do and they move on to something else. And our, our numbers kind of, um, we continue to grow, but they're not accelerating anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's one example of an area that I've tried uh, super hard to work on and not moved. The fun bit is always for me when we manage to hire someone in who manages to see it in a completely different way to how I've, uh, how I've seen it previously. And they managed to see an angle around it and hence it moves forward uh, in a way I would never have, have thought of it before. In that particular area, there's sort of a lot of research around user behavior and psychology and that kind of thing. How much do you take that into account in your work or does there a whole team of people that are looking at that kind of thing or is that not really an area that you're... No, it's something we're pretty big on. So we we have teams focused on customer problems and uh, they have kind of KPIs for measuring their impact on those problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, The business is a, a money transfer business and the mission is to make money transfer move for almost nothing. So we obviously have teams working on getting us regulated in markets, driving down the price, making the payments faster. But we have two teams that work on emotions. One team works on reducing worry through the process Mm -hmm. and tries to understand the drivers of worry. Another team, uh, the virality team, tries to understand the drivers of recommendation or evangelism, as we call it. Uh, The fun bit that teams figured out is uh, incentives only get you so far. Mm So. We've kind of steered clear of behavioral economics and dark patterns to, it's kind of like, let's call it the Facebook group, right? Where you kind of like uh, almost uh, trick people into, uh, hook them on dopamine hits, right? Mm -hmm. Without them realizing Mm -hmm. it and hook them into using your product, right? 
the team just did clear that because we have a, a strong value of transparency. But the team got to a pretty big insight, actually. They managed to make a change that increased our um, our invite rate by um, 700%. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a big percent. And given this is 30% of the growth, this isn't a small, small <laughs> thing to do, right? And they did that without touching the invite scheme. So I'll share with you because it kind of answers your question on a, an example of a behavioral insight. So what we know is that people use us because we save money. And the insight they got to is our customers all believe they save money, but they didn't believe the savings number that we shared with them. So when you go through TransferWise and you do a transfer, you get this lovely email at the end saying, your money's with the recipient, you saved $3, $5 on right. this transfer. And people believe they save money, but not the amount. And then what they did was they started iterating that email and how we talked about the saving and talking to customers and a lot of user testing, they got down to uh, kind of what you can see all over our product today, which is you kind of explain there's a rate you see on Google, that's the mid-market rate mm -hmm. that exists. Uh, your bank's rate that you're using previously had, your bank had this rate, which is usually 5% above that. Mm -hmm. And with TransferWise, we offer you that mid-market rate. So therefore you saved not just the tiny upfront fee that the bank is transparent about, but this giant 5% uh, of the transfer right. cost that was in the exchange rate. And when they put this, like we call it a comparison graph, this comparison graph in the success email, uh, they saw a 700% a uh, movement in invite rate, which kind of led us to this uh, kind of deeper insight that helping customers understand the value they've got from your product uh, drives the recommendation rate more than any kind of uh, growth hack ever mm -hmm. could. That seems like not only very valuable insight to transfer wise and might then sort of percolate through how you think about other mechanisms in the in the product, it seems generally applicable. <laughs> you know, helping people understand the value of the product makes them want to tell other people about it or use it more. Yeah. So I'm learning lots about product marketing and this mm -hmm. has been my biggest insight on product marketing. So I we've started defining product marketing as whether customers actually understand the value that you've created and how much value they've create, you've created. Mm -hmm. And we've observed a strong correlation between if you create a huge amount of value for somebody and they know it and are aware of it, they tell more people about it, more evangelical, your viral coefficients are higher and you grow faster. Hence, we can focus our product and design orgs on trying to help people understand that value. The two places that we've measured on that is in savings amounts. So we stand for price and being cheap. So the value is how much you saved. And the second one is speed. So 30% uh, of our transfers happen instantly. And we had this whizzy animation that ran at the end of a transfer that says <laughs> the money's actually in the person's bank account. But the, the question that uh, I'm a big fan of kind of user objective led design uh, where you're kind of clear on the objective of the design. So the objective of the WYSI animation was people should know the money is in the recipient's bank account at the end of the transfer. And we saw when we, with the initial animation, it was maybe two out of 10 people when we user tested it got the money was in the other person's account. If we optimized it for that, that 10 out of 10 people got the money's actually physically in the other person's account. Mm -hmm. Then we saw this, uh, again, big uplift in recommendation rate, invite rate, as uh, customers really understood the value that we were creating for them. Mm -hmm. 
So understanding the value your product creates and figuring out how to weave that through their experience of the product in the right way, in kind of a non-spammy way, helps create customer evangelism and word of mouth powered growth in yeah. product businesses. For TransferWise, part of the main driver is cost. What happens if someone comes and makes something cheaper? Uh, so the the short answer is we're happy um, <laughs> because uh, so we call ourselves this this fun like hippie thing, a mission driven startup, and the mm-hmm. mission is to make the world's money move at the touch of a button instantly for almost nothing, and the organisations are kind of catalysts for making that happen because. Chad, if you go back seven years as a consumer, it cost you between five to seven percent to move money internationally, and there weren't any options to do it. Mm-hmm. So much like Tesla as being a catalyst for driving usage of uh, electric vehicles, we see ourselves as a catalyst for removing kind of the drag on economic growth that is uh, forex fees, mm-hmm. where basically you've got banks that own the infrastructure charging of rent to do a service that really isn't that, that complicated, that hard, or, or that expensive. But when I have to answer that question to my board, I don't say that to them. <laughs> so the way I way I think about this strategically is as long as we're – it's very much like the Amazon model, which is as long as we're investing our cash flow in driving our price down, which means driving our costs down faster than anyone else in the industry, we build a competitive moat around the business. Mm-hmm. Also, you said that it's not the only fa- – speed is another – Factor, yeah, we, right? we've yeah. learned. Uh, so in the consumer business, we see there are four product pillars. They're the, the typical pillars you see in any consumer product business. Price, speed, convenience, and service. Uh-huh. On all of these things, we find that when we enter a market, we get explosive growth if we are much, much better than the alternatives, 10 times better. So we have to be at least 10 times better on price, speed, getting near a same day and, and some portion instant convenience like uh, removing paperwork and uh, paying with your thumbprint type stuff and world-class customer service so that those are the parameters of the product that matter so transferwise launched in the u.s was it last year or the year before yeah before yeah. okay when you launch in a new market particularly the u.s i gather was a big deal for the company right uh, it's a big, big place. <laughs> do you build local teams? How do you think about that? How are the different markets different? And how does it affect the team that you're building? It's a great question. It's a hard one as well to answer. May I think about our code base and our product? It's kind of a similar way to the way Facebook does. Uh, so Facebook runs the same uh, newsfeed algorithm, whether you're in Japan or Indonesia. So those markets are hugely different for Facebook. Mm-hmm. In Japan, hardly anyone uses Facebook, and they use it as a professional networking tool like LinkedIn. So very low daily active usage and low number of updates. I think Indonesia's Facebook's second biggest market is predominantly used on 2G or slower devices as well. So you have to have the same newsfeed algorithm powering both. Okay? Mm-hmm. If you think it through from a product perspective, you can kind of think through how they'd tweak and optimize that. So similarly for us, we don't have a globally scalable product because every country in the world has its own proprietary payment system, mm-hmm. has its own KYC laws, uh, know your customer laws yep. that you need to meet for regulation. Uh, but we have a global code base. So the way I think about this is uh, uh, we have a global code base with local context. So the model we run is a weak product ownership model Mm-hmm. where we have a bunch of product teams that all discreetly own customer problems. We call those our central teams. 
And then over the last uh, four years, we've now built out regional teams too that own regional specific problems, usually to do with payment methods available in the market or integrations with uh, local banks or central banks. So how long were you working on the, I know it's not one monolithic thing, but to launch in the US? Yeah, so we're live in probably 30 markets globally now. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we launched in the US, we were probably live in about 20 at that point in time. So to launch in a market, what we need is access to the payment system and a license to operate in the country. Mm-hmm. So we don't need a team on the ground okay. in order to do that. Yeah, To build a great product in the US takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And down to the idiosyncrasies of uh, Federal Wire and ACH right. and, the, and the wonderful uh, US payment system. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> the wonderful payment system that we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you mentioned you're a mission-driven startup. And so... TransferWise is focused on international transfers, but are people in the U.S. using it for non-international transfers, given that our our transfer system is so terrible? Yeah. As you know, when you're scaling a startup uh, and scaling a business, you need to be uh, very, very focused Mm -hmm. because opportunity abounds everywhere. Right. And yes, people do use our product for domestic transfers in the U.S. Uh, there are great products for domestic transfers in the U.S. with companies like Venmo and, uh, and mm-hmm. PayPal. But the opportunity we've got here, I think, is to move a significant portion of all the world's money in the mm-hmm. next uh, five to six years. And we're uh, 100% focused on that right yeah. now. Yeah. So do you have a regional team in the U.S. now working, working yes, on the yeah, U.S.? Yeah, we, but we you didn't do. necessarily need one in order to, to launch. To, to launch the market. So to talk through a bit how how we scale globally. Mm -hmm. So we have offices in Asia Pac, in Tokyo, Sydney, Singapore, and Malaysia, in Europe, uh, in Budapest, Ukraine, and Estonia, and in the US, in Tampa, and New York. To scale our product uh, globally, we need to build out about four functions. Product engineering, customer support, payment operations, uh, 99% of the world's banks don't have APIs, mm-hmm. <laughs> or there are problematic payments that need people as well, and compliance ops as well. Now, in some regions, you would co-locate all of those. Yep. So in Singapore, in Asia Pac, we actually co-locate most of them. But in other regions like the US, we wouldn't run uh, a call center out of New York. Mm-hmm. And do you, silo, or silo is probably the wrong word, but do, do you have regional product engineering as well we do have regional product engineering teams and they're generally based uh, in the region yeah so you mentioned that one of the problems you're solving now in terms of your attention and and growth energy is on recruiting are you doing that across everywhere all locations how are you how, what does that look like for you now so uh, it's quite a quite a fascinating funnel <laughs> so we had uh, 15,000 people apply to us last year mm. we hired 300 people yeah, <laughs> it's like uh, as we tell them, they're very special. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so we're hiring globally. We have a, a recruitment team uh, that supports our teams in hiring. Teams need to own their own hiring. A recruiter can't magically uh, <laughs> make someone want to work with you and take them through the interview right. process and give them an offer. Right. Uh, they're to support you with that. But we, we're hiring globally, and we have pipelines in each of our regions in each of the capabilities I talked through earlier. Mm-hmm. So how are you helping with that process then? Uh, my role is just building teams. It's just yeah. the, the very much the people stuff on yeah. how you hire, grow, support teams, scaling globally and helping the teams work through all the things that mm-hmm. they do on a day-to-day basis. So not at the uh, 
helping them think through their employer brand or uh, reviewing their pipeline numbers uh, uh, just much more on the on the people soft side mm-hmm. uh, than anything else the bits i think we've done particularly well uh, that i've helped a bit with is um Within a year or two of me my getting here, we managed to build a brand of being uh, one of the best product engineering companies in Europe uh, mm-hmm. to work for. And that's definitely been our strategy in trying to think through how, given the complexity of the problems that we're solving, say in compliance or in finance, building a brand with an audience where we can find the kinds of talent that we need in order to, to solve that uh, globally has become quite critical to our success in recruitment. Yeah, I must say, for everything I've heard, really good reputation for that and really well-respected brand, not only with consumers, but with the engineers who work at the company. I was going to say, it's all lies, but it, it's actually true. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you've scaled a lot. One of the challenges that we've had at ThoughtBot is over the course of scaling and nowhere near at the level TransferWise is, but the majority of people who were in leadership positions at first were people who were already at the company and were promoted into those positions. So we sort of have this culture of promoting from within, but we've reached a certain scale where there's not necessarily that pipeline of people who are ready to be promoted at all of the different levels of leadership that we need. And it's been a real challenge to, for us at least, to attract people into leadership positions and know that they'll be able to be successful in the role. Is that something that you faced? So the fun thing about, let's start with our growth, right? The fun thing about our growth is that we're not in control of it. Mm-hmm. Our customers tell their friends and we end up with doubling in size. Now the fun bit is if the volume of uh, transfers doubles in size, it means certain teams need to double. Right. right. <laughs> so we'll have double the number of customer contacts. So we need to double a, a pretty big customer support team. Yeah. We need to double the size of the payment operations team. We need to double the size of the recruitment team in order to hire all these people, mm-hmm. etc. So all the transactional teams that scale with transaction count have to scale quite rapidly. Now, there were points in time in the last year where we were doubling in size every six months or three months in volume. That's clearly unsustainable because right. you cannot double a team in that kind of speed. Right. And it's dangerous to do that. If you yeah. do that, you will, you will kill the company, right? Just mm-hmm. even, yeah. So what happens is there's an organic growth rate at which you can grow the team at its peak. That's hiring people, onboarding them, helping them uh, figure us out, and then uh, helping them have an impact. And what happens is as the growth rate accelerates away from the organic rate at which you can grow the team, it opens up what I call your, uh, I'd say this without swearing, but the like, <laughs> the likelihood of screw ups, okay, it's called yeah. right. um, it kind of opens up as the volume goes faster than you're hiring people that can uh, service the volume effectively mm-hmm. and hiring leaders that can support the people that are, uh, or growing leaders that can support the people who you're hiring. And then inevitably a, a screw up happens. And NPS, our NPS is 86%. We're really proud of it. But it will begin to drop. And as the NPS drops, the growth rate drops. And then it catches back up with where the organic team uh, growth rate's at. And then all's fine for a bit. And again, the growth rate then starts taking off again. Mm-hmm. And the last uh, two years of my life have been like that. And I, I think the next four years are going to be like that as well. So <laughs> that's very much what the job is, figuring out how to manage that. So specifically, it becomes very clear where you're missing, just call it people leaders. Um, In terms of subject matter expertise, I've learned the hard way. You can't 
it's very hard to hire magical people that are going to tell you the answer to solving something, mm-hmm. right? These magical people don't exist. And if they do, they're usually bad culture fits. Right? Yeah. So, uh, but definitely people that can help look after people, uh, you know, teams of 10, 20, 100 people, mm-hmm. make sure they want to turn up to work, uh, help them work through the, the challenges and issues they have on a day-to-day basis, help them think through problems as well. And you will grow those people at a rate from your team, but at times you'll need to hire them in. And there, again, there is a a rate at which you can hire those people in. You hire in too many, they're going to really get lost and struggle to look after their teams and their teams will leave. So again, there's a natural rate at which you can do that. So it sounds like you've experienced a similar problem. Yeah, absolutely. And I haven't found any any easy answers to that. So what's next for TransferWise for you? What, what What's on the horizon that either has you excited or worried? So we've been profitable for two years now, which is great. Yeah. One thing, so you know, like the business is in a good place and then some sense has made it. The interesting is what's next. So in building this great consumer business, we built this uh, underlying infrastructure that's relevant to businesses and banks. So 20% of our volume is B2B today. It's growing much faster than consumer. And I could see it being half of our volume in the next few years. Hmm. Banks have started using TransferWise as well. So uh, it turns out that their customers trust TransferWise to do a money transfer <laughs> more than their bank. <laughs> and so uh, a couple of far-sighted banks in Europe, um, yeah, a couple of the major banks in Europe, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't share their names, have signed uh, contracts with us and we're working through implementations where um, they will offer TransferWise money transfers to their customers. Given 90% of the world's money moves through banks, and we don't think we're going to get 90% of the world to download (laughs) our app, in order to make the world's money move for almost nothing, this has to be part of our strategy. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've opened up an API, and we have banks using that. On the business side, that breaks into three parts. Businesses using our APIs. So uh, companies very similar to Uber that have a high volume of cross-border invoicing use our APIs. We have mass payment of invoices where you can just upload a spreadsheet with your payees every month, and uh, the payments will go out. Um, the other big driver is high value transfers where we built a product that makes us pretty competitive between $100,000 to a million dollars mark as well. Mm-hmm. So these are the kinds of next big challenges for us to work through over the next few years. That's exciting stuff. Uh, I wish you and TransferWise the best of luck. Thanks very much. If people want to get in touch with you or follow along, where's the best place that they could do that? Best place is to hit me up on Twitter. I'm Nilanp, N-I-L-A-N-P. Or follow us on TransferWise at Twitter as well. Nalan, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did, do me a favor and tell a friend about it. It really does help. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. See you next time, and thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.